Bloodbath and Beyond, episode 29. I'm Casey Mitchum. I'm Burton Cody. And there's roadkill all over Texas, because we're talking about Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. It's action and horror, it's horror and action, it's Bert and Casey, it's Casey and Bert. Bloodbath and Beyond. Well, it is now September... And it was May when we decided to do this retrospective. <laughs> but we're which it, it speaks volumes about our enthusiasm to talk about the rest of this series. Yeah, I, I mean, most of anything that's good coming out of this series has already been watched, discussed, and hopefully, you, the people at home, have gone to see the original. In some way or another. In some way or the other, yeah. Uh, there's a 40th anniversary of the Blu-ray coming out. Mm-hmm. Of the uh, movie yeah, of the, for the Blu-ray, yeah. Yeah, it's the 4K restoration, which I had the, uh, the great pleasure of seeing at the Alamo Draft House here in Virginia. Um, I had never been to the Alamo before, and I will say it was a wonderful film experience. Uh, they did a... Well, you know, they're they're very well known. I don't really have to espouse them too much to the cinephiles in the crowd, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, from my experience, though, like the things that surprised me. Uh, first of all, they are absolutely serious about that no talking or no cell phones during a movie policy, which I wish more theaters had the balls to implement. Um, they also had great food. Uh, the waiters in our particular screening were dressed in uh, bloody leather aprons. And themed out for the for the show itself. Oh my god! That's and so yeah, it was so good. And and their pre-show uh, activities are not just the generic Coca-Cola uh, commercials or car commercials that you tend to get everywhere else. They hack. They actually custom make trailer uh, like thirty-minute trailer packages just for whatever movie you're experiencing. So we we actually saw Twenty Two Jump Street that weekend too. And you know before that movie, they showed nothing but clips of you know, like like. Uh, late show appearances from Jonah Hill making jokes about working with Martin Scorsese and any, anything they considered relevant. So for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they showed like retro, like vintage meat commercials from the 1950s All right. and clips clips of Ed Gein documentaries and uh, like clips from a lot of bad Texas Chainsaw Massacre impersonators like Motel Hell. Pieces. Uh, they might have. I enjoy you know, pieces, it's just, though, so I don't say it's bad. Th- I mean, like there was some like really rank stuff. Stuff I don't even know what what the name of it is, or uh, or three bodies on a meat hook. Uh, I have no idea what that is. So, it's it's a it's a pretty trashy looking movie. I I want to say someone's gonna send me an angry letter saying I got a word in that title wrong. But the point is, they they so they really customized the experience to everything. Now, as for the movie itself, uh, as for the 4K restoration, I had never seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a theater before. So this was already a, quite an experience for me, and we traveled several hours to do it. As far as like the picture goes, I, I don't know how it compares to the previous Blu-ray. I didn't buy the, or see the previous Blu-ray. I didn't either. Uh, was but, there a noticeable level of uh, grain and texture to it? Oh yeah, the grain was still present. I don't think they tampered with that too much. Good. There, but, but, but there was still a greater sense of clarity to the image without, imp- without impugning upon uh, the film, you know, grain qualities. 
that we've come to expect from the movie. Did it like the, uh, brighten up things that probably shouldn't have been brightened up? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I there was there was nothing in the transfer I saw that took away from my experience. Yeah, so I think Toby Hooper supervised the transfer himself. He that's, gave it kind of the okay. It's like okay, that's good. Yeah. That's what I intended. The other big thing is uh, the the sound. The sound in this new version, and it may be because I was hearing it from a theater speaker for the first time and not from my television, the sound is so much more profound in the in the, in the uh, 4K restoration to the point where I never knew how loud that last scene of Leatherface dancing with the chainsaw was until I saw it mm. in this form. It's so ear-bustingly loud that it, it actually makes that scene much scarier. I bet it does, and of course when it just goes... Bam to black. Yeah. Oh, there's I mean, just there are things we commented on too um, previously in our in our our podcast about the first film. Uh, one of which is the eye veins and nerves mm. that are visible, and seeing them on a big screen in such high clarity is a very unnerving experience. So I, I'm guessing all of the emotions that were really intended. Uh, upon making the film are amplified and how they're supposed to be seen when you see it absolutely absolutely this is one of those horror movies where you know there's there's several movies i don't think it makes a difference whether you see it in a theater or not but i think this is definitely one that greatly enhances itself from seeing it that way it feels like the way it was meant to be seen you know what movie probably wouldn't be improved in a theater setting would Probably be Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. So I think we should hop right into it and get this turkey out of the way. Yeah. I want to say I'm disappointed in Texas Chainsaw 3, but I've already set my bar so low for what a Texas Chainsaw sequel can or should be that it's that it almost buffered my disappointment in a way. I had heard rumors about how bad this movie was. It's just the beginning of the end. But I didn't realize how obnoxious this movie was going to be. And you can see that in just sort of the genesis of the picture. This is the mm-hmm. first film to be brought over to a a major studio or a growing studio. That was New Line Cinema. This movie has a distinctly sort of corporate feel to it. Like, we got to fill in all the check boxes because this is what this franchise did. By the time... This is 1990. Uh, by the time this movie was released, uh, there had been, I guess, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th had more or less run their course. They had just recently brought Michael Myers back to life for no good reason. And it, it, I think a lot of the passion was starting to dissipate from the genre, the slasher genre by this time. And I think a lot of audiences' interest in it was starting to fade at this time too. That the horror, horror is a bubble. It, you know, it'll it'll bubble up and it'll bust for a while, and then a new boom will come back. But I don't. I feel like the bubble kind of had burst by this point. Yeah, the, it wasn't where it was. This movie wasn't made at the right time, and you can see in the uh, how they went about with the directors. Uh, Peter Jackson was approached. <laughs> oh man, which would have vastly improved this movie. If, yes. if he were able to put his stamp on it. And Tom Savini was even approached for it. Uh, I don't think he's like an outstanding director or anything, but it, I would trust him with uh, sort of the authenticity of the gore or make it stick with you more. 
Now, the director of this movie they ended up with was named Jeff Burr. Apparently, Jeff Burr was fired during the making of this movie, but no other director wanted to work on it, so they hired him again. I've never heard yeah. of that before. <laughs> but that's, that's, the, that's the caliber of film we're yeah, working you, with you, here. Yeah, this is what we're going into here. Nobody would well, take know, this job. That happens with the actors, too, though. I mean, Viggo Mortensen, arguably, well, not arguably, definitely the most famous person to have emerged from this movie. Yeah. Uh, he was he was not the first pick for the role he received, and they they they'd gone with a different actor, and that actor decided to leave the film to go to a commercial instead. So Vigo was brought back in at the last minute. Oh man! So just like with King Aragorn, just brought in the last minute to make a movie that just burns itself into your retinas. Well, I guess the only actor that had any notoriety, at least with horror fans, was Ken Forey, for being mm-hmm. the star of uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. And he's definitely one of the best things in this movie. Absolutely. Even so much that his character uh, tested, I think, the best with audiences. So they gave him some more screen time. Well, yeah, and all, but also Kane Hodder is in this movie, but he's Leatherface's stuntman and not Leatherface. Yeah, he also played Leatherface in the trailer. Which is my favorite thing about this movie. Can we talk about the trailer real fast? Let's let's go ahead and do that. The trailer is uh, it's just some guy, just overweight, long hair. You can't see his face. You see him from behind, and he's facing a pond, and it's a very scenic sort of view. The camera kind of moves in, dollies in, as, and then there's a, the voiceover talking about, uh, what is it, Casey? It's, it's how legends, legends never, die. never die. And then this over-the-top music, erupts and this woman's hand emerges from the pond and she's holding a chainsaw <laughs> and it goes right and it turns around and it's Leatherface and lightning strikes it. It's, it's great. It's hilarious. And it's important to remember around this time the trailer came out, Excalibur, the King Arthur movie, was going to be a huge thing. So obviously they're aping the lady in the lake tossing King Arthur the Excalibur sword. Yeah. I feel like that's sort of the direction Peter Jackson would have taken the movie, just something really silly. But entertaining. Yes. That is the what peak we, of this film. That trailer. What we get with this movie is something so pedantic and tame. Well, let's. Can we start with the opening narration? Because with the opening narration, that really sets the tone for this picture for me. Because I have no idea what timeline this movie is talking about. I I'm assuming the movie's a full-on reboot. But but not really, because there are there are weird continuity things that still apply. Like Leatherface is now in a leg brace from when he would have had his leg cut in the first movie. That's true. But who are all right? There's a brand new family with whom he's living. The only yes. remaining member is Grandpa. But the first mo- but but the opening narration mentions that Sally Hardesty and her friends were attacked by the Sawyer family. And that W. E. Sawyer was given was given the gas chamber in 1981 for the crime. Here's the problem with that: there is no family member named W. E. Sawyer from the original movie. Yeah, uh, I'm assuming they're talking about the cook. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but that's but but we but his name is established as Drayton, so I don't know why. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know either. <laughs> that's why I think this movie's more or less a full-on reboot, with just uh, retaining a few things. And I think the leg brace thing was more or less just the costume department saying, eh, let's kind of jazz up this outfit a little bit. 
Well, the, the script was written by David J. Shaw, who is a uh, very well-known writer within the splatterpunk subgenre of horror literature, which specializes in gore. In fact, Shaw is said to be possibly the man who coined the phrase splatterpunk in the first place. So this is a guy who knows how to write gore sequences effectively and to great... You know. So, uh, you know, previously he had worked on Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child... And uh, later went on to write The Crow. Okay. But he but he's slumming it here, and uh, f- within that pre-credit sequence, we're shown this whole this whole um, scene of Leatherface making his mask out of a woman's head, and mm-hmm. and a screaming. And apparently that was that was meant to mimic the Freddy making his claw sequence from Nightmare on Elm Street because that, because New Line had planned for there to be a big reveal later in the movie where Leatherface would remove his mask uh, and we'd see his deformed face I and see. everything and but they decided that they they believed in this picture so much they were going to save that reveal for a future movie who believed never in this out. movie I, someone at New Line they were you know they were very starry-eyed and optimistic apparently um but there's there's nothing to believe in here. No, not not much. Um, I'll say at least this movie really picks up. Uh, I'd say in the last act, for being a very mediocre picture, it at least improves as it goes on. But there's a whole lot of stupid we have to get through to get. Oh, to there's that at point. least an hour worth of stupid. I mean, almost all, unwatchable though- stupid. There, we do have a nice moment, though, with a cameo from Caroline Williams, who played Stretch in part two. See, that, that's another thing that's pointing me in the direction of this is full-on reboot, because she's, Stretch was shown as almost in this crazy, feral state with a chainsaw, and her life would never be the same. Now she's a reporter? Well, to hear Caroline Williams tell it, apparently she told a fan at a convention that at some point a New Line executive had told her the plan was that seeing Stretch in this movie as a reporter was to sow a seed in the audience's mind that in a future sequel, Stretch would come back as someone who has been hunting the family and trying to end the Sawyer bloodline. Mm, best laid plans, huh? Yeah. So maybe she's using her leverage as a reporter to find out stories about people digging up graves and doing typical chainsaw family stuff. Yeah, did she even say anything? No, no, no spoken. She dialogue. just kind of like smacks her lips a little bit, like she's put on makeup. She's standing around the police line and the graves that have been yeah. <clears throat> opened up again. There's, there's a lot to try to make us remember that first. Yeah. Movie. Uh, also, this movie gives us two pretty bland characters, and and perhaps one of the most bland final girls I can, I can think of in any slasher movie. Yeah, she's pretty dull. Sarah, I think her name is. Yeah. Um. I think it's Michelle in this movie. Michelle? Actually. Oh, Sarah is... Michelle. Oh, Sarah is the woman in the woods. Yes. That's okay. Yeah, and she's... <sighs> well, you know, let's, let's, get into the, let's get into the family members this time. Okay. Because there's a lot of them. More than any other Texas Chainsaw movie I can think uh, of, there's a lot of members of this family. I will family. say in the most recent uh, reboot, remake, there were a ton of family members in that one. At least okay, at the very so, beginning, yeah. So, so past hmm. the beginning, you know, past the first couple of movies, trios, 
we're really getting into this growing, expanding family, which makes you just wonder how deep this bloodline goes. Uh, but we have our standard giggling psychopath with Alfredo, the gas station. Worker. I hate that character. I hate that actor's yeah. acting. I hate every line <laughs> he has. I hate every scene he's in. He's so irritating. It was clearly the studio going, oh, we got to have that hitchhiker character again. We got to yep. have the Bill Mosley type of guy again. And they even give him the the scene where he takes a picture of her. He's like, it's a good picture, good picture, five dollars, want to buy it? It's like it's so bad. It's he is the first of many examples of this movie, and in a way, the sequel did the same thing. And we complained about it then, slavishly trying to imitate other prior entries. Yeah, but but not not retaining any of the charm of those things. It felt like it was done. Out of uh, a sense of obligation, well, well, we think the fans are expecting this, so uh, we got to do that. Yeah, uh, I don't know the, the actor's voice he came up with for the character of Alfredo. I think, yeah, man, take a picture, yeah, five dollars. It, it's like he had no idea what a Texas accent sounded like. Yeah, uh, and every line is just sort of this gross misogynistic bullshit. And then he even has like, like the Norman Bates kind of scene where he uh, peeps on her in the bathroom. Yeah. And to know there's no tension or drama in it. There's nothing suspenseful. It's just bad. Will you fill up my gas? I'll service you real good, ma'am. <laughs> oh, that, that that was actually pretty pretty spot on. Imagine a whole <laughs> movie with this guy now. Because he's all over it, man. He's all yeah. over it. Uh, but but we're joined by uh, Tex Sawyer, played by Vigo Mortensen, who initially I had pretty moderate hopes for. Yeah. He seemed, at least in this first scene, he seemed different than what than the characters we'd seen before in these movies. I thought we, I mm. thought with Tex, we were going to get like a charming killer. You would think that, but you know, he just ends up being pretty unimaginative himself. I mean, it's just because he seems to obviously sort of, you know, use his his handsome looks and his sort of southern charm, you know, his Texan charm to win over Michelle. And you think, oh, that's going to be a thing. You know, like maybe he's maybe he's going to be like the, you know, the sort of like a Charles Manson type guy or something. Someone who, by you know, by all accounts seems normal and cool, but ends up being this monster. Mm -hmm. But no, he as you said, he's just he's another giggling psychopath. Uh, yet another. There's also Tinker. Yep. Played by Joe Unger, who's been in a lot of horror movies. Usually is just a that guy in the background. He's got a, yeah, you'll recognize his face when you see him. He's got a, uh, a mechanical hand or a claw. I actually like, of, of of those three, I like Tinker best. Yeah. I agree. He's He's got a whole thing about technology, and he's got a prosthetic hand, and I don't know. He, he really he hates Walkman's. Yes, <laughs> he hates Leatherface having pre presence. Uh, I there's also the matriarch. Yeah, um, with the artificial larynx. I I'm actually I actually kind of like that character. She's not that bad. She could have been used more. She could have been. I, I I like that because she has that artificial larynx. She she's a lot more sedate in her delivery than the other characters. Yeah, and and it's sort of nice to see a female member of the of the family for once. Are you sure? Because now we have the last member, the uh, little girl. 
The little girl, the little girl is, is almost as bad as uh, Alfredo. Almost as bad. I would say the little girl in this movie is worse than anything in Children of the Corn. <laughs> yeah, she's worse than the Outlander kid. By f- oh I, god, she's awful. So, so, what's the problem with the little girl? It's how she's introduced and how she's used, and she's got she's like this smirking psychopathic little girl. It's awful, and she's got this doll with a skull in it. And she, they, she does a voice they, for it that makes you want to punch a wall. More <laughs> than once, too. They play. They try to play up the, oh, she's an innocent child. She couldn't kill anybody. After, after we've already seen her stab somebody with a bone <laughs> knife that she pulled out of her doll, later on they have a scene where the family is about to kill one of the characters for dinner and she goes she runs and goes stop don't do that no more and the girl and the, and the woman <laughs> michelle looks so relieved like oh thank goodness the voice of a reason but first of all this this little girl's acting is so terrible yeah that i never i never thought there was anything but the punchline of i want to kill him i am not a fan of children as horror objects neither am i neither am i i, I think i think that they depend entirely too much on child actors uh, and low rent child actors at that. And you're the and guy that wants to watch all of the Children of the Corn movies. Once a year, my friend, we have to give a sacrifice to he who walks behind the rose, and that sacrifice is your enthusiasm. My enthusiasm. It's a depletable resource, Casey. It's got to be recharged. Once a year, buddy. Once a year, but you know what? I'll give children. I'll give Children of the Corn credit where it's due. At least in that first movie, they had the sense to hire a guy who was secretly twenty-five and looked like a child to act the hell out of his part. Okay. Yeah, I'll give him a slight pass there. But then there's all the other kids. Yeah, there's. And there's yeah, all why the other don't films. children work as horror objects though? I, well, you know, like I said, first of all, in in film, it really has to bank on having a kid that can give you that good performance, and for not a lot of money. So you're you're not going to get a lot of great talent there. All I can think of is the the child that played Danny Torrance in The Shining, but he wasn't supposed to be scary. He's... Well, I I think that kid works because all Kubrick asks of him is to react to things. Yeah. So different from the novel. But we'll get to that another day. There's, there's other reasons why this doesn't work, though. Um, for me, the children of, as a horror object thing doesn't work because I think that the imaginations of horror screenwriters are so generic in what they want to use children for. It's almost always the same thing. It's some, it's some creepy, muttering kid that's always like, you know, I'm, I'm laying here with my doll, and ooh, am I crazy? Maybe. And then they'll sing a nursery rhyme and stab you in the eyes or something. It's... Gosh, little baby, don't say a word. Yeah. At, yeah, and this, after the girl, after uh, the little girl stabs Michelle, she goes, yakety yak, don't talk back. <laughs> no, she does it like, so... yakety, I can't do the voice, man. Just oh, look up so the, the clip on YouTube. Or... Is there a clip on YouTube? Is there are people who've clipped this movie? I, I found the original that. ending on YouTube with oh, the God. little girl. Surviving the whole thing. <laughs> the little girl, yeah, is in the end of the movie, in the original ending. Yeah, so bad. She is she is awful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I I was totally cool with uh, Mama. That's all all I remember. Just yeah, the matriarch of the family and Tinker. He was okay. Yeah. Vigo yeah, was and, and again, Vigo was wasted. When you start watching this movie, there's a part of you that's gonna see Vigo Mortensen, and you're gonna think I like Vigo, 
I trust him to take me on a good ride. Don't listen to that part of yourself. That part of yourself hates you, and based on his performance, so does Viggo Mortensen. Uh, this was definitely so Viggo couldn't wouldn't starve. Uh, I think the movie he starred in after this was like American Yakuza. So he still had ways to go before uh, his A-list. Hidalgo. Yeah, Hidalgo. <laughs> of course, Hidalgo. How could I forget? A-list stardom was at least a decade away. Yeah. So, first of all, uh, one of the big hype things for this movie before it came out was that it is the last movie to have ever been given the X rating before the MPAA turned over to NC-17. That is just entirely circumstantial because this is, as we said, incredibly tame. And even the unedited version, Ori Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is very tame. I feel like this movie got an X based on the reputation of Texas Chainsaw versus anything that was actually in the film. Yeah. Uh, much of it's obscured by the camera. Not in a clever way, in a scary way like in the original. It's like the... It feels less like an artistic decision and more of just uh, an accident. I just watched... I rewatched this movie not even 20 minutes ago, and I am struggling to remember the kills. There's the woman wandering in the woods. We barely mentioned her, Sarah. She's seen at the beginning See, of the movie. Yeah, she sur- she survived, and her sister was recently turned into a mask. Yeah. So what was she was doing wandering the woods for the week or so that until, what was it, Michelle and Ryan show up to die? But see, when we first saw Sarah in the woods, I thought she was crazy too because they because they they gave her the same quality they gave the family members, which is just that she giggles maniacally for a while. I had that uh, feeling too, but I guess they're trying to say, oh, she's gone stir crazy or just crazy. Yeah, I th- I thought they were gonna go with like you know a Patty Hearst kind of thing. Well, that would have been a little well, you know, interesting. She's, she's got Stockholm syndrome now. Yeah, that would have been. What an interesting twist for an uninteresting movie. Well, it would have been an interesting twist, but also it would have kind of played into the really gross implication that's made in this movie about Leatherface and women. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he normally I mean, eats women. Yeah, but but I first of all, when I first saw the little girl, her being blonde, I assumed that she was Texas kid. Uh, yeah. I assume she was Vigo's kid because they're both blondes, and he seems like he seems like someone who wouldn't have a lot of trouble with women if he wasn't completely insane. So I, I was like, oh, you know, maybe that's one of his kids. And they and they have the most scenes interacting with one another. Mm-hmm. But at the very like the very toward the very end, you see her sitting in Leatherface's lap, kissing him on his leather masked lips, and then the family is all perving out, and Michelle, who's tied down going like Leatherface likes the girls he sure makes pretty babies hmm maybe we should turn him over to play with her I definitely didn't catch that oh yeah no yeah the implication is that the girl is Leatherface's daughter oh which kind of brings me to one of my problems with Leatherface in this movie and that is that he doesn't really retain any of the innocence that he had in the first he's actually much more uh, assertive and sinister in this one yeah, I mean, they, they try to give you some moments of tenderness, like, oh, he, he plays with a speak and spell. That was spell, actually he... the best scene with Leatherface. It's 
that he only spells food on. Yeah, it shows him a picture of a clown and he keeps typing food and keeps getting it wrong. That was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, but, but otherwise, like, it's just Leatherface is just really mean spirited, <laughs> and it, that's an odd thing to say for a guy that chops people up and sticks them on meat hooks. But yeah, in the first movie, Leatherface sort of runs around. He's like, "What the hell's going on here? I don't want to do this. I don't have my which, dinner show up like this." Which really is a huge difference between this movie and the first one, and and that even even the cook in the first one kind of tries to lead the kids away from the house. You know, he's. You know, the argument can be made that he's using a reverse psychology one. You don't want to go to that house. But yeah. in tr- but truthfully, he's kind of trying to lead them away, and Leatherface doesn't seem to expect these kids to be coming. Um, and give him any kind of heads up. Yeah, yeah. So, But but in here, like, Tex gives them directions on the map for where to find it, uh, sets up this whole scenario with Alberto, where Alberto pretends to shoot him with a shotgun and chase them out. Um, it's Armageddon! Oh, God. Him shooting that shotgun within a foot of the gas pumps. I really hoped he was just going to blow himself the hell up and not be in this movie anymore. I would have improved this movie uh, uh, vastly. Also, Tinker showing up with his... Uh, did Was it just me, or was did he put earrings on all the animals? Uh, I didn't notice that, so I'm gonna, we, just going to go see... with your observation. We see Tinker's earring on an armad- on the armadillo they hit at the beginning, and the coyote that gets thrown on their car. Hmm. So I'm guessing he's just going around tagging all the animals. I don't know. Ah. Well, we do have uh, another character we've also barely mentioned, played by Ken Forey. Mm-hmm. What what was his name in this movie? Benny. Benny. Yeah, Benny. He's like the survivalist guy. He's expecting the apocalypse, and he just happens to be wandering around middle of nowhere Texas with his M16 and truck. Yeah, he. you expect a lot more of him, too, given that survivalist background they've built up for you. I mean, at the very least, he immediately distrusts Tinker when, he's, when he shows up in his tow truck. Yeah. But there's just a... I don't know. There's there's too many contrivances in most of what's going on here. Uh, I, it, I was I'm I'm shocked there was a script written for this. I'm I'm just thinking it was written as they went along. Well, I I think this script reeks of heavy like page one rewrites by multiple authors. Yeah. And they just kind of picked whatever elements they thought worked in each one and then ran with it. I feel like the director just let everybody do what they wanted. Like the costume yeah. department. Oh, you can do what you want here. Oh, uh, actor. Oh, you think that's funny? Okay, I'll leave it in. Yeah, there's there's just no sense of cohesion to any of yeah, it. There's... It doesn't mean anything. Mm-mm. Even even Texas Chainsaw 2 gets this way better. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw 3 is just directionless. It's mostly dull. It's dull um, because there's no tension to it. Even no. when he gets to the big dinner scene, where I think it kind of improves, that that whole thing with the sledgehammer was kind of crazy and, and weird. It's like that's what this movie needed. But even then, you just it just feels very tiresome. But you know, even by now, I'm so sick of the dinner scenes in these movies. I, for whatever reason, they always just have to have that scene where the girl is tied or nailed down to the chair, and and. Grandpa's wheeled out. Although this time, I, it was refreshing that Grandpa's just dead. I did like that he was basically dust. Yeah, he's just—he has no eyes anymore. He's got—he's <laughs> just sort of like—he's just sort of a human piece of pulp. Yeah. But they still feed him blood, I guess. 
because they're crazy psycho chainsaw family. Psycho chainsaws. They have a crazy dinner scene where they cook your friends in front of you. But he's implied to have been married to Mama. Hmm. Because she talks about how she removed her, she cut out her own genitalia, and then cut off Papa's too. I, I don't remember that dialogue at all. That's that's in the same monologue where, they t- where, where she tells uh, she tells Michelle that her son Leatherface is real good with the private parts. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's uh, that's great. You know, as usual, the familial bickering is way better than anything else in the movie. Mm-hmm. As far as the character stuff goes, but here it's still too flat. Uh, the big kill we get is a Rube Goldberg machine with a hammer. The best kill in the movie by far. Uh, <clears throat> the, the part of the legend about this movie with the X rating goes that one of the elements that was proposed that was cut, and I feel like this was something that was written and never actually filmed just so they could get the MPAA to go, you can't do that, so they could use that in marketing, uh, was that the character Ryan was going to be hung upside down, nude, and vivisected. Ah, uh, like medieval torture style. Yeah. Over the chainsaw. Yeah, they were going to slowly chainsaw him in half. Um, you know, but speaking of the slavish devotion, including dinner scenes and grandpa, oh man, that that chrome chainsaw they unveil. <laughs> it feels so out of place. It's so cheesy. You know the... that that was put... That was put in just they like they were like we're gonna merchandise the hell out of these. We're gonna put this on the people. poster. Yeah, it's it it's it's a chainsaw with the, with Drayton Sawyer's catchphrase "the saw is family" embroidered on it in cursive script. Yeah, it's a shiny chrome-plated chainsaw that weighs like a hundred pounds or something. Yeah, literally. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not exact. Well, I'm slightly exaggerating. It's eighty pounds. Uh, but it's a uh, it's an incredible chainsaw because it operates underwater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even when nobody's giving any gas to it. Yeah. Well, can you think of? I'm thinking of the dinner scene. Uh, oh, it also involves Benny. Can you think of any other slasher movie where a good chunk of the villains just get gunned down? I'm at a loss. I think this might be the only one. I mean, I mean, ultimately, most of the villains in Scream are killed by guns. I say I haven't seen Scream. Ah, we gotta change that for you. I know, I know. It's like the big slasher franchise I'm totally uh, dry on. I've never seen. But usually they're killed with handguns and not assault rifles all at once. Yeah. Survivalist Ken Forey. Ken Forey's got such a magnetic screen presence, you can't help but like him. Yeah. And that's one reason, uh, in the original ending, he gets killed. Mm -hmm. It's another reason they kept him uh, alive for it. Test audiences hated that. Yeah, they hated they seeing him that. die, so they liked him. Well, I, you know, I, I think he's very funny uh, when he when when he offers to have Sarah go with him. She's like, "No, I'll just stay here." And he hears her scream in the background. And he goes, "Damn!" and just keeps running. Like <laughs> he's like, "I'm not going back for her." But uh, and he is the one that punches um, Alfredo in the bog. Okay, what was <clears throat> Alfredo doing in the bog? I don't know. I kept Alfredo like has an... no purpose in this movie other than to be irritating. I kept waiting for like an alligator to come out and eat the bodies. That would have I been thought... interesting. It could have been a callback to Eaten Alive, the Toby Hooper movie. Right, or even even a, them making fun of Motel Hell, which had imitated... <laughs> you know, Anything could have happened. <laughs> Something with that horrible but... character. 
But it's just Alfredo chucking body parts in the river for no reason. That's really what his voice sounds like. He's, he kisses that woman's head and... I don't know. Uh, you remind me of my last girl from Tupelo. Now you're gonna go down below. Oh, I'm sure like the crew and the director go, oh, that's so funny. Can't wait to leave all this horrible dialogue in this movie. <laughs> Alfredo, if <clears throat> blue-collar comedy tour existed yet, you would be all in that, man. Now you know how I felt about Chop Top, but I will, I will agree that Alfredo is Chop Top amped up to 11. See, I, I like Bill Mosley a lot. I think he did his kind of crazy shtick really well. I think he worked as a counterbalance to the, the hitchhiker from the first movie. And I love his first scene where he's in the uh, the DJ uh, booth. Yeah. Uh, and that great jump scare with Leatherface. Even as goofy as it turns out to be where he does the, the Leatherface shuffle. <clears throat> yeah. But Alfredo's nothing but pure irritation. Well, and I think part of the problem is, too, that they just can't get over the templates of the family. It's like, oh, we have to have a hitchhiker type. Yeah, they were too Every scared time. to break away from the mold, too scared to put anything t- terrifically gory, or other than like the implication, yeah, Leatherface has been making babies. Yeah. Those babies kill. Oh, did you, by the way, did you catch my other favorite? By favorite, I'm saying that very sarcastically. Uh, kid in horror movie trope which was that the fridge was covered with the little girl's drawings of skeletons and chainsaw people i did not catch that but now you're making me just hate it even more because <laughs> of course what 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 do kids in horror exist for if they're not constantly drawing pictures of they're black, either there dead, to be black ghost dead people they're either there to be in peril yeah i'm thinking like the only time I remember kids being good in horror movies was, yeah, The Shining and People Under the Stairs. Because that's kind of a kid survival movie, and I love it. But, yeah, there was nothing irritating about it, and the kids were believable. The kid has to be believable. And she is so wooden. Yeah. And and thankfully in Poltergeist, it's really mostly the little girl stuck in another dimension. Yeah. Just try, I'm just kind of going through in my head all these instances of children in horror movies. If I if I just felt like if I felt any element of this movie worked, I would give some of these things a pass. But nothing works. I mean, even even the implication that they are completely isolated and all alone, like they were in the first two movies, is is shot by the disreality of the fact that you can see the lights of houses in the background sometimes. Yeah, that sense of isolation has vanished. Well, I think yeah. part of that, as, much, as many jokes as this movie makes about uh, Californians, <laughs> Californians are so dumb, uh, this movie was the only Texas Chainsaw movie filmed in Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, I, maybe it was on purpose? I, I don't know. Uh, probably. Probably. Somebody making themselves laugh again, but not, but at the expense of the film and not do anything that's entertaining the rest of us. Thank you. You just put into words so clearly what I've been trying to, commu- to communicate what is a big problem of this movie, with this movie. Ugh, man. Where does that leave us? That leaves us, I mean, with the end. Yeah, that's the end. It's... I mean, the, 
again, the the ending of this movie leaves us in the exact same place they all leave us. Somebody's got to rev up a chainsaw. You know, it's somebody's got to drive away from that person revving up the chainsaw. Luckily for us, one of those people that gets to drive away is Ken Forey. Yeah. Oh, and I I wanted I brought it up earlier vaguely, but I want to talk about that really stupid scene where they are Which wrestling one? with. They are wrestling with Leatherface in the bog. Uh, well, that's and before the the really awful fight scene with Ken Forey and Vigo. The one where Ken Forey cracked Vigo's ribs and they kept it in the movie. <laughs> well, that makes it a little better. No, that's yeah. the kind of scene. If you're flipping channels like on a Saturday afternoon, and you stumble upon this, and it's just the crappiest garbage. Yeah, that, that's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. That's the whole movie in a nutshell. Just that well, one poorly shot, acted, choreographed scene right there. You know, I could have de- I could have dealt with that scene if it hadn't had that, that hair metal song. That's, and that, that really adds to the whole just sleazy trailer park trash feel I get from it. Yeah, it's, it's some song by some band called something like Sacred Reich or Death Angel, you know? it's Death Angels in this movie. Come on, big boy, come on. Come on, and then, take a shot. And then Vigo gets lit on fire. <laughs> now, oh, also in the original ending, a charred Vigo Mortensen shows up. And he gets immediately killed again. Again. He immediately gets killed. Uh, well, we, don't, we don't even see what happens to Tinker in this movie. He gets his ear blown off by the gun, lays on the floor, and we never see him again. Do we see? We don't even see a shot of like his gut exploding from a bullet or anything. No, he's just like laying on the floor crying. Oh, I guess he and little what's her face, they just make it out all right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to our to our detriment, she oh. is the future. I'm on IMDb and she's listed in the credits as Leatherface's daughter. Yep. She doesn't have a name. She's just Leatherface's daughter. That's all she is. Right. And the the uh, but the the fight scene I was talking about is when they're wrestling in the bog with Leatherface, and Leatherface's chainsaw is on and just swimming through the water, and it's just revved and it doesn't sink; it just keeps floating around like a shark's fin. No one is no one is holding the gas to keep it on. That's actually how Ken Forey was character supposed to die in that original ending. Oh, he's supposed to be hit by the chainsaw? Yeah, like his head sort of goes in. It is so dumb. (laughs) It looks really stupid. It would have been dumb with that context. It is completely moronic without it. (laughs) It's completely useless. He doesn't do anything (laughs) with that special chainsaw. No! (laughs) It's just for a really useless, uninspired reveal. He kills nobody with that chainsaw. Yeah, he does. Well, not that one. He kills somebody no, not... with a chainsaw. With a chainsaw? No, well, who? Uh, Sarah in the woods. Okay, he impales okay. her on the tree. That's how unmemorable it is. You just because watched this movie. And I, you don't I remember did that. for the second time because it took so long <laughs> to do this podcast. I watched it twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It was so unimaginative, so crappy. Ugh. But I, I thought they killed Ryan with the chainsaw, too, but. They just revved no, it near him. And... Yeah, it was the, uh, the the sledgehammer. Yeah, but but I mean they but they made it because I just rewatched it. They made it look like he was killing Ryan with the chainsaw, and then they go back and he's hanging upside down and about to be hit with a hammer. So I don't know what he was doing during that scene. It's just it's like the director and the editor are like uh, we need to splice in a shot of just uh, Leatherface with a chainsaw. Just you know, just Leatherface with a chainsaw. That's what he does. Anything. Yeah, anything. anything. Something. Uh, yeah, it's it's real bad, guys. Don't 
my here's my advice: don't watch this movie. Yeah, I second that. Go watch the 4K restoration of Texas Chainsaw Massacre One. Go buy the Blu-ray. Yeah. yeah, yeah, support that. But you never need to see this. Mm-mm. No, it, this is just an odd little footnote in the history of a uh, slasher franchise that should have been left alone. And was left alone again for quite a while. Yeah, well, there's only a four-year gap between this and the next one. But if you're speaking of... Oh, that was only a nine-year gap, really. Mm. Because, uh... The biggest gap is between one and two. Yeah. That's... Yeah. That must have seemed ancient. Oh, uh, I will also note that uh, there was the Texas Chainsaw 3D from last year. A sequel to that has just been greenlit from the time between the time we recorded the second and third episode of this <laughs> retrospective. They are coming up with these movies faster than we can talk about them. And we probably won't talk about the new ones they're coming up with because I just don't know if I have the power to do that yeah, anymore yeah, after this next one. There's no reason to. But that said, we are going to continue this retrospective series. Uh, Despite our own will to continue. I don't know if I can we, keep going, man. We have to talk about this last one, though. I, I guarantee you it is a stupid gem of the shiniest order. It is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4, the new generation, with Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll watch get, it. I we'll get to it. I haven't seen the, I, I've seen part four before. I have. It's been a long time, though, and I remember it being a very unusual film. So, I'm looking forward to discussing that one with you. Oh, we'll have a most excellent adventure. <laughs> with that said, Casey, I'm Casey Mitchum. I am Burton Cody. Stay bloody, my friends. Some tales are told, then soon forgotten, but a legend is forever. Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, rated R, the most controversial horror film ever, starts Friday, January 12th.